0: Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're returning to our study of the book of Hebrews today, and we're going to be in Hebrews 12, verses 12 to 17. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, I I thank you for the opportunity to come together today and, and do what Christians do. This is just key to our spiritual health. We're here because we need to be here. Some people say you can be a Christian and not go to church. Well, no one's saying otherwise, but we recognize that we've been born again. We've experienced Your grace. And that's we need to be here. We need to sing out and praise You for all those glorious things that You've done and who You are. It brings us joy doing that. We also need to hear from You through Your Word. Lord, we understand that as we look within, we don't find truth. There's not this inner child that can truly guide us in the way that we should go. When we look within, there's a fallenness there that just taints everything, our thoughts, our emotions. We need something transcendent outside of us. We need the Bible. And so, Lord, as we step into the time of the study of your Word, We just ask that Your Spirit would come and just just meet Your Bible in such a way that He does just gospel work in our minds and our hearts today. Help help us to see truths that maybe we haven't really uh, seen before. Help help us to just feel conviction where we need healthy conviction. Give us eyes to, to see and believe where we lack faith. Encourage us where we're discouraged. So Lord, do a good work in our hearts and our lives today. Lord, to that end, I pray that I not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. If you're a reader, you might know that the name David McCullough, he's one of the best uh, historical authors of our generation. He's written a book called The Pioneers, which is a, about what the title says. And, and in that story about different Frontier families he, he tells the story of a pioneering family called the Cutlers and the Cutlers were one of the first pioneering families in the Ohio River Valley and and they were godly people they were trying to raise their children in the Lord and and Mr. Cutler was a pioneer. So he was a there, there was a grit and a strength about him He's a really godly man and, and a tender father. He, he really loved his children and, and he really cherished uh, his children And as his oldest son began growing up into manhood, he he really uh, caught the vision of the California gold rush. And, you know, this was something new, and it just kind of just invigorated all of the, the frontier. And as he got older, that was his dream. As he wanted to leave his Uh, family's property and farm and he wanted to go to California and make his fortune. He wanted to see the rest of the frontier. He wanted to see the Pacific Ocean and he wanted to make his own money and make his own fortune. And so uh, even though initially his father was against it, he recognized that the older he got, this is uh, what he felt led to do and was excited about. And so he gave his blessing for him to go. After the son left, two months later, the family found out that the boy died on the frontier of cholera. It was an awful death. And it was just a, a heartbreaking, bitter experience for the entire family. It, it hit the father the worst. And, and he, uh, as the thought that uh, just uh, resonated with him, is that his son was just buried somewhere out there in some unmarked grave or he didn't even know where it was. It was as if he had never existed. The, the father was so heartbroken that his daughter wrote that he never spoke again. Periodically, they would hear him kind of shuffling in his room at night, just murmuring different things. But the bitterness of that son's death, it left that poor father heartbroken. Trials can lead to bitterness, and then temptation can lead to immorality. And further, both bitterness and immorality, that can lead uh, to loving but painful divine discipline. Okay, But divine discipline... Can lead to kind of a crisis of faith for all of us. This moment where we can go a couple of different directions. We can faithfully endure through the pain, through the trial, through the discipline, or we can fall away. Therefore, how do we faithfully endure when trials and temptations arise? That's our question for today. Hebrews 12, 12 to 17. It's going to call us to believe that divine discipline is good. Therefore, we're to do five things. We're to lift up, we're to be strengthened, we're to make straight, we're to strive for peace, and then we're to obtain the grace of God. This passage is going to teach us that the way to obtain the grace of God is, that, is to endure in believing that divine discipline is good. Before we dive into our text, I want to refer back to the previous passage just for a minute and make the point that God's painful discipline leads to pleasant fruit. That's what that previous section was really about. Verses 1 to 11, they make that point that God's painful discipline leads to pleasant fruit. Now, we've said this for a couple of weeks, but Hebrews 12 is within the application portion of the book. So up to Hebrews 10, he's laid out this glorious Beautiful, complex theology about how Jesus is better. He's better than anything else that causes you to tempt away. And and, and at chapter 10, he makes this turn from theology to application. And the main application that he's making is endure. Don't fall away. Because Jesus is better, endure. So he's calling us to endure. Endure trials, endure temptations, never give up and never give in. Now one of the main ways that he helps us endure is through discipline and last week we saw that discipline leads to discipline in, in other words when we're disciplined by God or by a coach or by a parent that leads to greater self-control it, it leads to to greater grit through trials it leads to greater endurance think running lines in a basketball practice right When you're running those lines, it's building your endurance so that you're going to be better in the game, right? We know this to be true. However, we also know discipline is hard, but discipline is also good. Now, the example that we saw last week was, is you see this in the example of good parents, right? Good parents say encouraging, uplifting words to their children. Good parents hug their children. Good parents also discipline their children. Now, kids, discipline is painful, you never like discipline in the moment, okay? But the older you get, you look back at that discipline and you say, you know what, that, that was evidence that my parents were good parents, and it's evidence that they loved me. They loved me enough to do the hard work of disciplining me. It, it made me better. It was hard, but it was good. What, what's good for an earthly father, it's even better for a heavenly father. He's committed to disciplining you because he loves you. And you can even say, if he never disciplines you for, for sinful things that you do, you, you could maybe question his love for you. Because what good fathers do, earthly fathers and heavenly fathers, is they discipline us. It's, it's out of their love. Uh, Dane Ortland says he asked the question, why is, his, why is his hand so heavy upon us at times? It's because he loves us too much to allow us to follow our natural inclinations to build our joy on the sandy foundation of the things of this earth, even good things like health or money or vacations or family or education or work. He insists that our final hope rests on him. That's why he disciplines us, because he loves us. And further, we saw that even though discipline is painful, it it bears pleasant fruit. Good fruit comes from it. Good things come from good discipline. Now, we have to be careful on this point because these good things are delayed. It never happens in the moment. You're never disciplined, and then all this good fruit pops up. It's delayed. It takes time. But in the end, it does yield pleasant fruit. It makes you stronger. It enables you to have more self-control. It gives you grit through the trials of life. It helps you endure. And finally, endurance itself is the pleasant fruit. That's the pleasant fruit of divine discipline. You see someone who's able to endure through trials. They're able to walk through life in those ways, not being mowed down by the difficulties of life. Think of it this way. Isn't it better to be a dying old man who's endured through the trials, who has lived a righteous life and thus has good relationships, a good reputation? Isn't that better than be a dying old man Dying of the same thing, and have all this brokenness. He's given himself over to bitterness because of the trials of life. He's given himself over to immorality, and thus has all the scars of that in his life. No one's there for him. Isn't it a blessing to endure to the end? This is what he's calling us to: that endurance itself is is a pleasant fruit. Well, God's discipline is painful, but it's born from His love, and thus it's good, and it, and further it leads the pleasant fruit. Therefore five things. Five things we see in in this passage as a result of that truth. And the first one is therefore lift up. Look with me at verse 12. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. If all this is true about divine discipline and this call to endure, then we're called to therefore lift up. Lift your drooping hands is what he says here. Now, if you're, uh, hang with me on this. There's one term here for lift up and be strengthened. It's not two terms. Now, there's two images here, but this one term applies to both of these images, okay? It's one Greek term that applies to two images, and and it, it has a range of meaning, and so it fits both of these images. And so if you're looking at different translations and you're wondering, okay, lift up, be strengthened, that's what's going on here. There's a little bit of debate on, on how to translate this. I think the ESV translates it best. And that's the one we've chosen here to where this term is then applied to two commands, two images, okay? The first image is, is drooping hands. The second image is, is weak knees. So this one word calls us to lift up drooping hands and strengthen weak knees. But what does it mean to lift up drooping hands? I think what he's saying here is that when your soul is downtrodden, but when you're focused on the pain, like you're focused down on what's wrong, he's causing you, uh, he's calling you to lift up. What, what this is, all this is, is biblical lament, okay? This is just the Psalms. He's, he's, just call, he's calling you to biblical lament, which is be honest about the pain. Be transparent about where it's hard and where it's broken. Christianity is not, you know, it's not saying, well, that's not real. Don't don't ever think about that pain. That's not true. It says be honest about the pain, but don't stay there. There's, There's always a turn in the Psalms, right? But God. There's all these awful things, these terrible things happening. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why has this happened? But God. There's always this turn. There's this turn up. And he's calling us in the same way to lift up. Now, no doubt we can experience very bitter things in this life. And those bitter experiences can lead to bitter hearts. And bitter hearts then can lead to falling away. Falling away from intimacy with the Lord. Falling away uh, from faithfulness. And in those moments, we're called to lift up. Lift up from the pain to the promises of God. Lift up to who He is and all these glorious truths that He's promised through the pain. So in the middle of the pain, we're to believe that His glory is worth the pain. Psalm 96, 6 to 8 is one of these, but God turns, where He turns up. Psalm 96 says, "...splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary." Ascribe to the Lord, O families, the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. In the bitterness of life. We're not to stay down in the pain. We're we're to make that turn and lift up to the glories of the Lord and the goodness of His promises. The second one. A second, therefore, based upon all these truths, is to be strengthened. L- look again at verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Again, further, be strengthened. Uh, again, th- this, this term of, of, uh, for strengthen, it's, it means setting straighter or being restored. What he's saying here, or the image here, is weak and wobbly knees. And he's saying, be strengthened, be be strong, stand firm on something. The the weak, wobbly knees need to be restored to their previous strength so someone can stand strong. Now, you've probably seen this connection, but but there is a connection between lifting up and then standing strong, having your your knees strengthened, right? There's a connection there. I've noticed that when I experience something bitter in life, it can cause me to look down at the problem. And then when I look up, what happens is, is I'm also strengthened. My knees, my weak and wobbly soul is strengthened as I look up. When I lift my eyes up to the glory of God and the hope of His promises, my heart is strengthened. There's a connection between lift up and be strengthened. Have you ever received a a criticism, and then it's caused you to spiral in your mind about how bad you are at something? You're bad at calculus. (gasps) Wait, what? Oh, my goodness. Maybe I am bad at calculus. Wait, Maybe I'm going to fail this class. Oh, my goodness, I, I'm not going to get into the college I want to. I probably never even get a job. Do other people know that I'm bad at calculus? Do other people see that, that, like, I'm dumb? Do they think I'm dumb? Like, I get there that fast. Are you with me? When you have some sort of criticism, don't, don't we just go there? Don't we just spiral to those places so quickly? That's an example of just, just weak, wobbly souls, Right? When we experience something like that, it, it just shudders us. It, 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 we lose strength in these moments. And in those moments, we're to remember a promise, like Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Even the struggles of life. Even the failings of life. God turns all those things for His good. Doesn't that give you strength in those moments? Number three, Therefore, make straight. And, maybe, and make straight, verse 13, paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The image is moved from hands to knees to feet. It, it, it's moved from looking up to being strengthened. It's moved from that inner man Now to the feet, to to move forward, to to walk ahead in this, to endure in these things. Again, it's moved from the inside, if you will, to the outside. Listen, we live in a day where the arguments against Christianity, they're not scientific in nature, they're ethical in nature, okay? This next generation of young people, the the criticisms that they're facing for their faith, they're not about science and biology, they're they're about ethics, what's right and wrong. And coupled with that, there's a hostility to Christianity that previous generations just didn't have, okay? So that means that this generation has to understand things at deeper levels, more profound ways than previous generations did. And it also means that they have to have courage in ways that previous generations didn't have. In other words, they're going to have to walk the narrow path, the hard path. It's not the wide path for them. It's the narrow path, the hard path. This is the path that Jesus walked, though. Like, that's the great encouragement of it. This is the path that Christ walked. Do you remember Matthew 7? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So, friend, when you're weak and wobbly, knocked down by the trials and temptations of life, lift your eyes up. Be strengthened by the promises of God and then walk forward in faithfulness, even if you're the only one. Even if it's hard. Even if it's unpopular. He's calling you to walk the narrow path, to endure down the narrow path. Make straight paths for your feet. Number four, therefore strive for peace and holiness look at verse 14 strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the lord this call for courageous endurance it's not disconnected from real relationships with real people okay courageous endurance is also not a license to treat people poorly so even though you might be in the minority even though you might be walking the narrow path, even though someone might be harsh to you or disagree with you, if someone is hostile to you, this is a call to return their hostility with peace. It's a call to turn the other cheek, if you will. Like today, these first century Christians, they were experiencing, a, they were experiencing pressures from real people in their life. There were these real relational t- uh, tensions that they were walking through. Being faithful caused relational tensions in their life. They had to make these choices. Am I going to be close with these friends or am I going to be close to God? Maybe I could be at peace with the world, but that means I'm not going to be at peace with God. There's tensions that are going on there. And in those tensions, he calls us to be at peace with people. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So even if someone is hostile to your faith, tempting you to do something you shouldn't do, do your part to preserve a good relationship with them. Live at peace with others, even if they're not living at peace with you. You can't control them. You can't change them. But what you can do is do your part to live at peace with them. Peace is also a mark of holiness. You see it in that verse? There's a link there between peace and holiness. In other words, living at peace with someone is very godlike. Right. This is this is how God behaves. This is a godlike thing. And related to that, to be honest, I find that utterly challenging. This is maybe the most difficult thing in my life. Are you with me? Am I the only one here living at peace with people who you disagree with or maybe they've been ugly to you or are harsh to you in some way. He still calls you to live at peace with them. Listen, if you find that difficult, it means you're human, and I'm with you in it, okay? This is, this is a difficult calling, but it is a godlike calling. In those moments, I'm tempted to fight or flight, but God calls us to peace in those moments, working for good, peaceful relationships with those who disagree with you or those who try to harm you. That's the most holy, God-like thing you can do in that moment, and it is hard, but that's the call of this passage. So strive for peace with others. That's how you endure. Now, it's also an indication that you are enduring, but also a clue that you're obtaining the grace of God if that's how you're living. Look at this next verse, the first part of verse 15. Therefore, obtain the grace of God, seeing to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So finally, based upon the truth that God's painful discipline bears pleasant fruit, He then calls us to obtain the grace of God. In other words, he calls us to endure. That's how we obtain the grace of God. We finish well. We uh, we uh, we endure. We finish the race that he calls us in verses one and two. This is how we obtain the grace of God. Now, just in the interest of time, I'm not going to chase a question that might be popping into your head. Wait, is this one of these verses that means that we can somehow lose our salvation, friend? There's too many verses in the Bible that say otherwise. There's too many verses in Hebrews that say otherwise. So so that's not the correct interpretation. This is that someone could lose their salvation. However, this is a genuine warning. We're we're not to rush past the warnings in Hebrews. This is a genuine warning. In other words, this verse ought to cause you to shudder. This, This verse should rattle you. It's saying, listen, if you're giving in and falling away, if you're giving in to those trials and becoming embittered, if you're giving in to those temptations, to immorality, not me, but the Bible is saying, I don't know that you're on your way to heaven. The Bible is giving a genuine warning. If that marks your life, you're not on your way to heaven, you're on your way to hell. But we're to see this as a genuine warning. However, those who do receive this painful divine discipline, the ones who do lift up their soul, the, the ones who do strengthen their stance. The, the ones who do walk faithfully and endure through trials. They're the ones who obtain the grace of God. Isn't that good news? That's right. let, let me give you a, a, just a passage to encourage you. Colossians 1, 21 to 23 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh, Uh, by, uh, by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which he has proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which i paul have become a minister brothers and sisters in the face of the pain of divine discipline In the face of the uh, the weight of bitter trials, in the the face of, of those powerful tugs of temptation, endure. Continue on. Don't give up. Don't give in. There's so many glorious experiences that await. There's so many good things that are ahead of you for eternity. It's worth it. It's God and being in His presence, seeing Him in all His glory. That's what's in the balance. A glorious eternity is coming. Therefore, endure. However, what happens if we don't? This passage sadly leads with another just, just difficult warning. And this is where we need to close today. He closes... Uh, with this warning for those who don't endure and, and he really what he's doing here is he's helping us see what it looks like to not endure and, and he closes with what, what i kind of view as just a helpful like a check engine light if this is going on this is like hey check engine light. You, you need to you need to double check your heart you, you need to check some things out okay so if you're not enduring if you're not doing those five admonitions but rather but, but if, you're not, if you're giving in, rather you're being defiled by bitterness and immorality. Those are the check engine lights. Is your life marked by bitterness and immorality? If it is, those are the check engine lights for you today. Let me read 15b-17. to 17. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who bought his? Who sold his birthright for a single meal? For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. An evidence or a, or a check engine light of someone who is not enduring is these verses. They have a root of bitterness in them. Their life is or their lifestyle is sexually immoral. Those people. They, this passage is calling you to do a major heart check. It, it, it means you're, you're this obtaining the grace of God is in doubt. Listen, hear that. Not, rather, feel the weight of God's Word on that. Do You feel the weight of that. He's saying, listen, if this is your life, if it's marked by bitterness or sexual immorality, God's warning you today to turn. To follow him otherwise this promise of obtaining the grace of god it's maybe in question this probably raises some good questions for you what's root of bitterness here that's that's where i went here what's root of bitterness the, the author ha- has been using this image uh, of where uh, discipline is like this seed that is planted and then it uh, bears this pleasant fruit well this is in contrast to that there's something else that's planted here. This trial comes and it plants this root of bitterness, and, the, and then something else grows up. This, this sourness of soul raises up. Bitterness is when you don't forgive people when they wrong you, when they wrong you, and then you cont- continue to condemn them for what they've done. That, that's what bitterness is. And listen, lack of forgiveness—it's it, this—it's this seed that gets into your heart and your soul. And, and it just bears bitter fruit. There's a root of bitterness there. Friend, if you're there today, forgive. It's time to forgive. Now listen, if you want to go to lunch with me, you want to sit down with me, and you want to walk through it, I'll, I'll do it, and, and I'll listen to you. And, and listen, I'll, I'll go so far as to say, you're right. I'll give it to you. You're right. This thing that they did, this thing that happened to you, you're right but it's also time to forgive. It's time to let that thing go. It's time to give it over to the Lord. What's sexual immorality? It's engaging in any form of sexual thought or act that's not according to God's good, healthy, and righteous boundaries of the Word of God. God's created sex to be good, but He wants it to be done within His good, healthy, righteous boundaries. I not have time to outline all those boundaries. But it's just being faithful to God's Word. The point here is not giving yourself over to these unbiblical uh, sexual desires. If you do that, you're going to miss out on the grace of God. You're not going to obtain the grace of God. It's going to affect your intimacy with Him. It's going to affect your eternity with Him. Friends, the call of Hebrews 12 is to endure through trials of bitterness and through temptations of immorality. Listen, I know that that's a a heavy and a hard way to end this passage today, but let me close with maybe two helpful steps out of those moments. Two helpful steps out of bitterness and immorality. The first one, friend, if you're struggling with bitterness, then today is the day to forgive. That's why you're here. I don't know all that's going on, but if you're struggling with bitterness, today is the day to forgive. Ephesians 4:32 says be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you when you clench tightly to that offense that was done against you God's calling you to let it go to forgive them not to say what they did was right but to let go of holding it against them and listen if you're struggling there Bro, you're, <laughs> you're one of my people if you're struggling there. Totally identify. This is my great, I, th- I think this is my greatest struggle in life. If you're struggling there, go back to that verse, Ephesians 4.32. Christ forgave you. Let that wash over your hard heart. If that's you today, just let it wash over that hard heart. Because listen, he forgave you not just as an example of how to forgive he certainly did that but it's more than that he forgave you that softened your heart so that when you're struggling to have a hard heart for someone else he can step in and soften your heart again meaning that you can go to him for help when you're struggling to forgive you can go to him and ask him give me the tender heart to forgive Ephesians 4 32 make that soften my heart so that I can then forgive them Friend, if you're struggling with immorality today, then today is the day to fight. Amen. Romans 8.5 says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Amen. Friends, sexual desires, that, that haunts and hunts most people, Okay and maybe for the rest of your life. But when we give in to them, we miss out on that pleasant fruit of endurance. We miss out on the blessings of intimacy with Him and being with Him for eternity. So this is a, a call to fight. It's a call to battle, to battle against those thoughts. It, it's a call to, to uh, uh, grab those thoughts and, and fix your mind on the things of the Lord. Further, when you struggle, ask Him to help you. He wants to help you fix your thoughts on him. Right. Years ago, I had an interesting conversation with a man, and, and he he, I, he was just he it was I really liked him, and, and that's why this conversation stuck in my mind. He he had he, he it was about a bitter experience that he had, but but he made a comment that kind of shocked me in the moment. Okay, and and the reason why it shocked me was I think for two reasons. Number one a mature godly man okay and number two he was he he was just funny okay like I like funny people and every time I was with him we just laughed the whole time I mean, he's one of the, one of the more funny people I've ever been around I mean I just loved being around him because we just laughed the whole time okay mature godly man and I, I and there's an there's a link between joy and being funny okay and like he I, I just viewed him as a joyous person I just liked him and one time we were around he was an older man in the church there was a group of us standing there and somebody made the comment they go man i noticed that your main competitor moved in right by you now i'm not going to tell you what his business was but but he had this business to where location mattered and when that competitor moved in it was like everybody kind of looked and said man what what's that going to do to his business okay and and here's the comment that he made he he got real serious and that's kind of what got my attention to i would never seen him get this serious he got real serious and here's what he said he goes yeah it almost killed my business and it took a lot of counseling to get over it now now here's what shocked me in the moment I just thought wait a second wait hold on like this guy like this guy needs counseling and and to do the work of getting over bitterness like this guy doesn't just sail through his competition rolling in town almost messing up a business and trust the lord everything's good like that was hard for him now listen that showed my immaturity okay like, that that showed how really immature i i really was okay like looking back on it now that i'm older like oh my goodness i totally understand it like the dude almost went bankrupt And let me add something else, dads. This was in the college years. Like his his boys were about to head off to college and this happened. I bet he did go to counseling. I bet this really was hard. I bet this really was an embittering experience for him. But I think what was so helpful for me as a young man to see that was hard for him. He didn't just skip through a difficulty in life. It took work for him to navigate that. You see, he did the faithful work of enduring through bitterness. He lifted up his thoughts. He let God's promises strengthen him. He moved forward in faith and hope. He walked in peace with others to the best that he could, even those who had caused him so much pain. He was then blessed with the grace of God rather than being destroyed by his bitterness. It was hard, but it was good. He got to the other side of it. And it was beautiful seeing him on the other side of it. Friends, no matter the trial of bitterness you face. And no matter the temptation of morality that just tugs at your flesh, lift up your eyes to Him and walk forward in His gospel promises. Can, can I just leave you with, a, with some hopeful truth in all this? J- just hopeful gospel truth. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Friends, He has promised you pleasant fruit. He's promised you an inheritance. An inheritance that nothing can, and no one can take it away from you. He's promised you these good things. He's sealed it with His Holy Spirit. He's promised you this glorious eternity of seeing Christ in all His glory, of being in His presence forever. He's promised you these so many wonderful things. This is our hope. This is our hope when you experience a bitter trial in this life that something better is coming. This is our hope when we just stumble back into those temptations again that something glorious, something better is coming. There's a pleasant fruit. That's why we endure. There's something pleasant that's coming. The the fruit of endurance. Being in His presence is worth it. It fills our souls, doesn't it? This is why we endure. Because we get to see His glory. We get to be in His presence. We get to experience joy like we've never experienced here. That's the promise. That's the hope. Brothers and sisters, lift up. Be strengthened. Make straight. Strive for peace. Endure through the bitter trials. Endure through the immoral temptations. And gray hairs, you'll amen this. Uh, You you will obtain that glorious grace of God. Gray hairs, you know being on this end of it, it's worth it, isn't it? Amen? It's worth it. Amen for these young kids in here. Is it worth it? Amen. Amen? It's worth it. What is coming is so much better than this world. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage and this reminder. And frankly, I thank you for these healthy warnings. We need these warnings. I need these warnings. I need to be reminded of the weight of what we're doing. Lord, may we be a people that endure. May we be a people that that, that don't give in to the bitter trials that we face, that we would trust You through and that we would turn our eyes not on our problems but up to Your glorious promise. Lord, and in that, help us just to dwell in Your presence and find joy through any difficulty. Lord, when those temptations come and when they just tug at our souls, pray that we would push through, that we would continue to endure. And Lord, help us to experience this promised pleasant fruit that comes with it. Lord, if there's anyone in here today that hasn't experienced any of that. They have no idea what we're talking about. Lord, if there's someone in here that that, that hasn't experienced that glorious relationship with you, that hasn't turned from their sin, turned to you as their Savior, I pray they wouldn't waste a day. I pray they wouldn't live a life being given over to trials and temptations. They would live a life with you. May May this be the day that they're converted. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.